Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs. And I'm Cody Sims. And welcome to My Climate Journey. This show is a growing body of knowledge focused on climate change and potential solutions. In this podcast, we traverse disciplines, industries, and opinions to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and all the ways people like you and I can help. We appreciate you tuning in, sharing this episode, and if you feel like it, leaving us a review to help more people find out about us so they can figure out where they fit in addressing the problem of climate change. Hey everyone, Yin here. I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode. We are talking with Tanya Hicks, who is a serial entrepreneur, a single mom of two boys, and a wireman electrician in the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Tanya became the first woman to attain the status of inside journeyman wireman in the IBEW Local 917 in her hometown of Meridian, Mississippi. She is also one of the first few Black women to join the IBEW in the state of Mississippi. Her primary job as an electrician started out as industrial, working in paper mills, steel mills, car plants. And then she specialized in robotics and high-voltage equipment installation and repair. In the year 2000, at age 28, Tanya founded Power Solutions, Inc., an electrical contracting company. And I didn't know this, but when we recorded the episode, it was the day of the company's 22nd anniversary. Tanya is also the founder of an organization called Women Do Everything, And this organization supports women in blue-collar, male-dominated industries to help them grow, connect, and thrive. I've gotten to know Tanya over the last few months after we were introduced, and she's one of the most humble, hardworking, and inspirational people I've ever met. I can't wait for you to hear the episode and learn more about the three decades of experience Tanya has had in the world of electrical work. And with that, welcome to the show, Tanya Hicks. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. We were connected through Ian Magruder, who is a MCJ community member and part of the Rewiring America team. So shout out to Ian. Thank you for introducing us. So excited to chat with you today and get to learn more about you as an electrician. So maybe as a starting place, tell us a bit more about your background. Well, I've been an electrician or doing electrical work since the age of 21, which was quite a long time ago. And I actually got started After leaving college, I was going to school to be a mathematician. I was going to Central State University on a math scholarship. I wanted to work. I had this dream of working at the Pentagon, cracking codes for the CIA and the FBI. I don't know, maybe so much sci-fi and detective shows, watching TV with my grandma. I don't know. (laughs) And I had a professor tell me that they don't hire women to do that. And... I don't know, blame it on my 19-year-old self, but it's like my whole world just caved in. And he told me to focus on graduating and becoming a teacher. And I didn't want to be a teacher. I love teachers, but I teaching just wasn't for me. And I went after my sophomore year, worked at a construction site, saw the people using math all day. And I'm like, what do they do? It's like, they were electricians. We were on an industrial job site. And it was like, oh, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I didn't even know it was supposed to be really, really hard or difficult for women. I was just like, that's what I'm going to do. And I had to figure out how could I learn how to do that for free, first of all. You know, you tell your mom you're giving up your scholarship, you better figure out what you're doing pretty quickly. 
And I saw where the IBW was accepting apprentices for the five-year apprenticeship program and how much money they made. And you can start making money right away. And you didn't have to pay for school. And, you know, I was like, you know, in case my mom kicked me out, <laughs> I at least can afford my own place to stay. And I would get a free education. And that's what I did. And I became the first woman to be a journeyman wireman in my local, 917 in Meridian, Mississippi. And the first Black woman to be a journeyman wireman in the state of Mississippi. I think everybody kind of thought I was crazy. And, you know, it's always like, well, you can always go back. You've always been smart. You can marry well. You know, those kind of things. But, you know. <laughs> I'm curious, did you have anyone else in your family that was in electrical work or you were the, the first and only and you said, I'm going to do this? Yeah, I'm going to do this. Now, my uncle went to college and got a degree in becoming a industrial mechanic, which is pretty close. They have to know electrical work as well to do what they do. And electricians have to know industrial motor work. So he was kind of like one of my main inspirations and helped me learn how to use tools ever since I was probably like five years old. He taught me like everything I needed to know about how to rebuild an entire engine. I rebuilt the engine with him at eight, at eight years old. Wow, that's pretty incredible. I grew up without that fear because I was like his helper. And he was like, what's this and what's that? And I would have to know what size a wrench was just by looking at it. And so when your children grow up, you have no fear. You, you're not thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this <laughs> because you've done it. And that's what I realized and what he taught me is once you've done it in your mind, it's easy to follow up with the actions. Tell me more about the education path. So once you started the apprenticeship program, what were the steps ultimately to becoming a full-fledged electrician? Oh, Take God. us through the, the steps there. Well, you have to go to school, of course, and it's set up like just like the college system. So you have to go to school on a semester basis, and then in the summertime, you're off, and just like college, because actually you get college credit for the classes that you take. You had to work 40 hours a week, but you still had to go to school a couple nights a week. And it was pretty easy for me because I was kind of smart already. You know, it's like I was going to school to be a mathematician and I minored in computer science. So school stuff was like, oh, this is a breeze. How many years was the apprentice program? Five years. Five years. And then you have to work and just start doing the apprenticeship work while learning in class. Oh, yes. Mm. Yes. And the union's apprenticeship program is like the most difficult. We're considered like the elite electricians. It's, a, it's called the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. And it's a true brotherhood. So it's very few women. In 2019, Statistics show that of all the tradespeople, only 2.9% were women and only 3% of electricians were women. So it's that few of us. So so when you were going to school, like how many of your classmates were non-male? Do you remember? None. You were the only one? Yeah, I'm the first woman in my entire local. 
Wow. Okay. So then you graduate from the apprenticeship program and then you have to do some type of as a journeyman license. Well, once you complete the five years, you have your journeyman's license. Okay. Got it. And then what happens after that? You can go anywhere you want to and work. It's a freedom that most people can't relate to, but it's, it's incredibly rewarding. You go through a lot. It's hard for it. You know, you can start out with 50 students and only anyway. Is that tough? So you've been part of the IBEW for a few decades now. Has the gender discrepancy gotten better over the past couple of decades? I should hope the answer is yes, but I don't know. Well, there are more women coming in, but a lot of women don't stay because the culture of construction and maintenance and electrification and the utility energy industries are really, really tough. Male-dominated industries are just tough. You have to have the grit and the determination to finish or to be a part of it. This is a really interesting topic, and I want to come back to it, but I wanted to get more of the kind of lingo out of the way. So IBEW, International Brotherhood of Electric Workers, the name ought to be changed at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then you mentioned earlier you were the first woman and first Black woman in your local. What is a local? I know that it's used to describe unions. How many unions are there? Like, is there a local one? And that's what's the first one. Yes, and then, it yes, it is. It's according to, yes. I'm the first woman, period, in my local. Not the first Black woman, but the first woman, period. And so just imagine, it's called local union. And so it's just your, your home, your little local in your city. How big is your local currently? How many electricians are part of it? I don't know how many, but it could probably be around 400 or so. And are they all relatively the same size or some locals way bigger than oh, others? Oh, some locals are way bigger, like Birmingham, New York. I mean, you know, New York City, Chicago, you know, yeah, it's several huge. Since there's a lot of pride in being part of a local, what do you think contributes to that? Well, I think because, I mean, you know, it's just like being part of a, a ball club in your city. It's that home pride. And it's really, really, like I say, it's really, really tough to be a part of that. They actually graduated me about two to three months early than everybody else. How come that doesn't surprise me? You just, uh, I feel like you do everything, you do it well. Well, no, it they <laughs> actually did that so that I won't graduate and be in the picture. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Uh, talk more about it. Well, it's, you know, just the discrimination, whether it's based on sex or race. And at the time, you know, I was so tired because I would have to travel for miles. I would have to travel to other states. I was actually working at Arkansas at the time and having to drive all the way home to go to class because they refuse to give to work me because you have to have complete so many hours of work to be able to advance to the next level. So yeah, it's, it was pretty, pretty tough, but I didn't care. I don't, I didn't care. I was determined to finish. And maybe talk to me about like forging your own path after you graduated from the program and you were part of your local and it sounds like, you know, you were a salmon swimming upstream. I feel like that today. <laughs> well, I feel just like in the movie, Hidden Figures. 
when I watched that movie, it's like, oh, wow. The only thing that's changed is that we're using the same restroom as a race. But everything else in there was exactly the same. And it's sad to say, but no, I don't think much has changed. And it's because we don't have enough women in that field. And I think that now that a lot of women are needed, because it's not even enough men skilled labor to cover the jobs, it's still a certain amount of change that needs to occur in culture in order to make it welcoming and safe for women. So this is, I think, a good segue for us to talk about you creating that space for more people who look like you to be in this space. And you went the path of entrepreneurship and you started a company when you were 28. Yes. Tell us about that path to entrepreneurship. Like what sparked you to say, no, I want to do this. I want to start a company on my own. And tell us about the growth of that. You know, especially considering today is the 22nd birthday of this company that you created? Well, I would always tell people what to do on the job. I was never in charge of like a foreman or lead electrician, never. But I would always tell everybody what we do. Hey, get over there. Bob, you know you can do that better than Jim. You go over there and do something. I just always been like that. And when men, men want to win at the end of the day. And so if it sounds like a good plan, and because I was so good as an electrician, if they feel like you're going to get the job done, they're like, come on, you come on with us. And so I actually earned their respect. And I had to earn it every day, everywhere I went. And I would tell people what we're doing today and this and that. So this guy came up one day, he said, if you're going to tell everybody what to do, you might as well be the owner. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I know, right? You know? <laughs> And I thought he was just making conversation. He was like, no, you actually own your own company. And I was like, you think so? So I thought about it all day. And at the end of the day, when it's time to go, I told the guys, I told my foreman to send my check to the house. I'm going to start my own business. And they laughed and laughed. Everybody laughed at me. It was about 15 guys around or so. And I said, you can laugh now. One day you're going to be working for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was always badass. I have to be honest. Because <laughs> every time they gave it to me, I gave it right on back to them. And so I didn't know anything about owning the business. But I decided I was going to, I had got a gateway computer. I went to Staples, bought a gateway computer. And I got me some business cards using clip art. And then that clip art is a woman holding a lightning bolt. That was my first business card. And it was so funny. I was living in an apartment and I had a sunroom part of my apartment that I, I bought a desk and I bought everything. And I'm like, I was going to, every day, I was going to figure out how I was going to get some business. And so one morning I was watching one of the Good Day Atlanta. And the women's chamber was having an event. And it was like all women in business. I was like, I'm going to that. And I showed up because I didn't have a ticket. And Samuel Jackson's wife, Tanya, was going to be there because her sister was being inducted as the president. Like Samuel Jackson, the actor? Yes. His wife, Tanya, her sister, was being 
I'm inducted as a new president. And so I told this lady, I said, I don't have a ticket. Can I just stand in the back and watch? And she said, you don't have to stand in the back. It's some room at the front table. And I was sitting by Jane Fonda. And everybody thought it was so funny and fascinating, rather, not really funny, but fascinating, that I was a woman electrician. And to make a long story short, those women drug me all around Buckhead and the city of Atlanta, helping me get business. They made their husbands use me at their jobs, at their companies. They gave me work in their houses. Oh, it was it was just so women helped me start and helped me build my business. More power to women helping women. That is know, a beautiful right? story. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Wow. And then how did you grow the business and scale it to be, you know, more than you being? Well, I wish I could say I did that through certification or becoming a woman-owned company. I didn't get my first certification as a woman-owned company for 16 years. So for 16 years, I hid that I was a woman. So I was like hiding in plain sight. So yeah, I would show up to jobs, sweeping, cleaning up, talking to the guys. And for the most part, they thought I was a cleaning lady. But I was the owner. And, you know, you don't have to certify or have to tell people unless you're trying to get a certain work based on you being woman on a minority owned. And so I built my business on that because I didn't want being a woman or being black to be my value proposition. We're gonna take a quick break so you can hear me talk more about the MCJ membership option. Hey folks, Yin here, a partner at MCJ Collective. Want to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have since then grown to 2,000 members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with differing backgrounds and perspectives. And while those perspectives are different, what we all share in common is a deep curiosity to learn and bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met, nonprofits have been established, a bunch of hiring has been done, many early stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming like monthly women in climate meetups, idea jam sessions for early stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. So whether you've been in climate for a while or just embarking on your journey, having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the members tab at the top. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, let's get back to the show. So it sounds like when you first started as a sole proprietor, like you would through your women network, go and actually do the work. And then once you were starting to grow the business, you would hire male electricians and... No, actually, no. After the first year, I no longer did the work. Those women in Buckhead taught me, and that's Buckhead Atlanta, taught me how to work on my business and not in it. And I started my business as an S-corporation. So I've always been a CEO, and those women taught me how to operate as a CEO. What were some of the key lessons there? Well, I think one of the key lessons was I always hire people to do the work. I think so many times when you start a business and you, of course, and I did too, I started doing the work. But after year one, I no longer did the work. 
I would go and get the business and hire the right people. I would always, another key lesson was hire people smarter than you. So I don't hire people. I have to tell them what to do. I hire people that tell me what to do. And I always, because I come from a union background, I always paid well, union scale and above. And I think when you pay people well, you get people that know, that have a high level of expertise in what you're doing. I feel like it's less work that you have to do. And it gave me more time to focus on what I needed to focus on, which is getting the business. Did you have to hire anyone that could play that part? Because if someone saw you selling to them as a black woman versus a white man, you might not have won the business. It's like, how did you navigate that? Men are so arrogant, girl. God, no. <laughs> it's like they just assumed that I that was doing it for, you know, my husband. Mm. Or, you know, I was a salesperson for the company. It wasn't even a thought that I was the owner, trust me. Because it's so rare to see a woman do what I do. And to be an owner is even more rare. It's not even a thought in their mind that I would be running anything. And so it's almost like they automatically thought a man put me in this position or, you know, I'm doing it or they'll tell me. Okay, well, let your husband know such as <laughs> and I never would say anything. Do you still find that to be the, the case that if someone were to know that Power Solutions is female owned, minority owned, that you might lose some business? Not anymore because I've built up my past performance. So if you've built up your past performance, you don't really have to worry about it. What does that look like? Tell us about the kind of footprint that you've built in Georgia and beyond. Oh, yeah. Internationally now. Yeah. Oh, yes. And so in 2019, the State Department sent me to the Netherlands to represent the United States for energy as an entrepreneur at the Global Entrepreneur Summit. And from that one meeting, I have clients in London. I still network and do business with the Dutch. And I was negotiating to work in Botswana, but then after the Brexit, that made our business dealings a little, yeah, if anybody knows about the Brexit, there's a lot of companies that had to pull out and come back in. And then a couple of months after that, I went to Singapore with Dell Technologies to do business. And then I started the process of opening my office in Singapore. But to me, it's all electrical work. It's all smart city technology. It's all the same thing. And they need skilled labor everywhere. So I made up in my mind that I didn't care if I had to work in California, New York, where I had to go, that I was going to find somebody that was going to give me the opportunity to work. And they were going to treat me fairly and pay me. What are the types of projects that Power Solutions does most frequently these days? I would say most frequently because it's during the pandemic, I decided to focus solely on renewable energy and building automation. And I would say mostly like building automation, energy performance projects and solar. Yeah, we're doing a lot of solar now. What type of people do you hire to be able to staff those projects? Well, how do you find- Just electricians. And within, like, I was poking around the IBW website and just looking at, like, the different types of electricians that you can you can be. There's low voltage, high voltage, highway systems electrician, substation electrician. Like, can you maybe help us understand the different types? 
because the union or when they organize, they call it organizing. When they bring in people that are non-union but already working, there are different levels that you can test in to be a CIT at different levels. And like I said, you can specialize into low voltage into some of those things. I'm a journeyman inside wireman. We are taught everything. So, I mean, it's not to say that you can't become a journeyman and then go and specialize in a certain area. But I think a lot of those levels were to accommodate people coming in from a non-union status to union status. Can you talk a bit more about that? I don't quite understand. So it seems like to be part of the union is like where you want to be. And there are people that go through the education journey, maybe with a non-unionized apprenticeship program. Why is there that union versus non-union difference? I think because we're the best. I know, you know, it's like we are. And so I think there's levels to everything. And when we're taught and at the level and the degree that we are taught electrical work, it's at the highest level. And now it was a time that minorities and women were systematically kept out of the union. And so if some people didn't have a choice, they couldn't even get in. And so, of course, you don't, I mean, I don't never put people down for not being union, especially my elders and people that came before us where they weren't allowed in the union. But I say today, because that doesn't exist the same way it used to or at all, I always recommend people go union because we have the, we're all paid equally, depending on the level that you are on. So they're not going to pay another journeyman less than me or pay me less than them. That's one of the things I think is great for women and minorities to go union is because so you can be paid and be paid well. We are the highest paid. And like I said, it takes five years. So it's longer than a bachelor's degree in most cases. Yeah. And to be an electrician all in itself, it takes a, a, a certain amount of craftsmanship and skill. So, and no shade to painters, but it just takes a certain level of intellect to be able to do what we do as an industrial electrician. And so it sounds like then if you are not part of the union and you go through some apprenticeship programs, you can do more hours to then join the union. Later on, yeah, well, you can test in, you can take a test and it'll put you in at a certain level and which you won't make as much as a journeyman makes, but you can go into school at a certain level and build your way up. It sounds like, you know, I was, I was poking around and according to some stat from the NECA, which is the National Electrical Contractors Association, there's 7,000 new electricians joining the workforce every year, but like 10,000 are, re- are retiring from it. So it seems like we're you know, going to face, we are already facing an electrician shortage. And so it should be all hands on deck to get as many new people trained and into the system as possible. Exactly. I tell people to train wherever you can train, go to trade school, wherever you can get in. If you can't get in, because it's only so many, the union takes in in any local twice a year. But I think you should always strive to try to join a a union company so you can go to another level. 
So I want to go back to the topic we were discussing earlier around how to get more women and women of color, people of color into the trades. And I want to talk about the second organization that you started called Women Do Everything, which is an initiative to help get more support for women in the trades. And so I'd love to hear more about the mission of the organization and how it got started and what your areas of focus are right now. Yes. So I started as a residential company to be able to have women at an entry level with being residential, learn to trade and do home repair work, right? And I couldn't find enough women. Even going to different programs back around 2015, I couldn't find enough women to join. And it was so many women that wanted to learn how to get into the trades and how to grow into the trades. So to make a long story short, I went from that to training women and coaching women to come into this male-dominated industry of construction and also home repair. And then I decided to branch out to other male-dominated industries, being manufacturing, transportation, aviation, automotive, agriculture, because as I went along, I realized that we that we all had the same issue. We were just in a different industry as a male dominant. Even I started networking with the women in film and television industry, and they had the same issues too. And so we're actually about to launch for the very first time our membership the membership portion of Women Do Everything, where women can join as members and take advantage of the different activities, the different events, and also different certifications, whether it's OSHA safety certifications or some of our sponsors that are looking to have more women in their industry are looking to partner with us to do some training as well. And so... At the end of the day, I want women to get into these industries to help them make more money. During the pandemic, women were hit significantly. And I was really concerned about the economic development of women and how we were set back. And so my goal is to get more and more women into these male-dominated industries, which have 15 to 20% women representation, female representation, which is sad, but there's still many, many industries where less than 10% of women are represented. And, you know, sometimes you just need to lean on somebody to keep going. If you're one of a few or only the only woman at your job, you need somebody to do the three C's, cuss, cry, and complain. So sometimes if you just get it out, you can keep going. I'm a part of a lot of different trades groups, women's trades groups on Facebook, and that's what we do. Girl, guess what happened? Guess what this man said to me today? And you got a whole group of women encouraging each other. And so that's why I started the organization. And yeah, we're having our first women's summit and career expo, March 28th. 29th and 30th in Atlanta, Georgia. And so we'll be sending out a saved date. We'll actually be a start taking registration soon. And that summit 
is more about introducing women to different things that they can do from gig work to entrepreneurship. And like I said, to a career change in these male and all of them are in male dominated fields. And so we want to help women win. And so one of my goals is, in the, which is our slogan, show her the money. We want to show her the money and show her a pathway to get there and show her women that have gone before her and women that she can reach out to to say, hey, how did you get past this part? Or give me advice about this. Or what do I do when I'm having a down day? I mean, it seems simple, but it's not. So it sounds like this is the first time that this conference is happening. Very exciting. I hope I personally can make it if I can get an invite. <laughs> I'm curious, what type of support are you are you needing at this stage in order to make sure that this first annual Women Do Everything conference is a big success? We're actually looking for sponsors, sponsors that are looking to invest in women and looking for more women to join their companies. Our current sponsors are Delta. Bank of America, UPS, and Staples. And they've been an amazing support for women, aside from what they're beginning to do with us. But women invest so much in our communities. I mean, in every sector, women have been needed. And not since the World War II have women been needed to work. And so we need everybody to come together to kind of rally these women up to say, you can do this and we're behind you. I mentioned Staples before. That's where I got my first gateway computer. And Staples has been like a partner for my business from the very beginning. So we're looking for companies that want to invest in careers for women and also interested in growing their team with women in different jobs. We need more women project managers, electricians, technicians, and more women in leadership. So we want those type of sponsors and partners. We also are looking for partners that are in global, not just global, but I mean, nationwide staffing agencies that also hire for some of the larger companies even construction companies. And no matter how small your company is, if you only hire one woman or you want women in your organization to join Women Do Everything and be supported, we welcome that as well. So no matter what their budget is or where they want to come in to join us, we welcome that. But we have all type of classes or sessions. We have quite a few sessions on different things about mental health and just the stress and the strain of from motherhood to making it through this pandemic or just being and working in hostile environment. We're doing everything we can to pool together resources to help women, even with dependent care, either child care or elderly care or disabled care. Women are normally the caregivers in the family. And so we're looking for also people in the medical community, whether it be pharmaceutical or hospitals or any of the dependent care or AARP, anybody that is willing to support women that work. Very good. Okay. I I am conscious of time and the fact that it's almost the end of your day. So just a few more quick fire questions. Looking forward to the future. 
I'm curious to get your take on the IRA bill and what you think are the future implications now that the bill has begun to take shape in being applied in the day-to-day. What impact does the IRA bill passing have on your work? Oh, the IRA bill, I feel like it's almost like a godsend, almost, so to speak. I mean, just the electrification of America. I'm an electrician. So, you know, this is one of those things like I feel like we've been the thing we've been waiting on. We didn't know we were waiting on it. And just the rebates for low income to low middle income to middle income people as well. I mean, upper middle income as well. Those rebates are going to mean a lot to helping people switch over from gas to electric. I'm really, really excited about that. That I mean, well, for lower income people, it's like a hundred percent rebate. That's going to be a game changer. I think it's an opportunity for elderly people, people on fixed incomes, to be able to afford much needed repairs and conserve energy. So I'm very, very excited about the IRA and for small contractors. You know, it's a lot of different online handy man, handy woman type people on these sites that'll be able to make money through the IRA by making some of these much needed repairs. So I'm very excited about it. I think it's a game changer. It's something I never saw our government doing. And I'm really, really looking forward to educating and helping people transition into using electric rather than gas, but also helping them become, put more control in their hands from automation, whether it's with a Nest HVAC thermostat or whether it's a, all the different apps and the different smart breakers. And it's so many new products in the industry and also with EV chargers. This year I became a manufacturer A lot of people don't know that I'm manufacturing my own EV chargers for home and commercial, and it's called She EV. What does that stand for? She stands for Smart Home Energy, but it's a play on words because I'm a girl. Brilliant. (laughs) And so just the need, my company is leading the charge for safe charging station areas for women. You know, you don't think about it, but when you're plugged up, you're like a sitting duck. And if you are a woman and you have children or you're an elderly person, a person that's really vulnerable or seen as vulnerable to criminals, you need to be in an area that's well lit and safe because it's not like you can drive off. You have to unplug to drive off. And so my company, I've just decided I'm going to lead the charge with our politicians And with the companies and with all these parking companies to say, hey, we need this to be a safe area for women and elderly people to charge. Super exciting that you continue to evolve and grow. And this is a new company that you're starting that is different from Power Solutions or is this part of Power Solutions umbrella? Power Solutions is its parent company. Nice, nice. Very good. Okay, one more question. Earlier you mentioned, you know, you're like, I still feel like salmon swimming upstream. What keeps you optimistic? What keeps you continuing to want to do the work? 
as you know, I've been in the New York Times. I was like the whole page. And that article went around the world. I've even been featured in Forbes Japan. And I so from those articles, in particularly, I get messages from women all over the world, even some husbands and fathers that told me that they recommended their daughter look at me as an example. That's what keeps me going. It's not just paving the way, but holding the door for them to come on behind me. Well, it's a beautiful note to end on. This is, uh, has been such a fantastic conversation. Tanya, thank you for taking the time out of your obviously very busy day to chat with us. I learned a whole bunch and just really deeply appreciate all the work you're doing to try to level the playing field for women. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast. At MCJ Collective, we're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. To do this, we focus on three main pillars. Content, like this podcast and our weekly newsletter. Capital, to fund companies that are working to address climate change. And our member community, to bring people together, as Yen described earlier. If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at www.mcjcollective.com. And if you have guest suggestions, feel free to let us know on Twitter at MCJPod. Thanks, and see you next episode.